Amen. You can grab a seat. As you do, uh, flip open your phone or your Bible to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, we're going to read our passage and then uh, pray for our time in the Word just quickly. Uh, we are starting a new series today called Limitless, and um, I'm really excited to, we've been journeying through the, the Gospel of Mark, and I'm excited to get to this, uh, this section of the Gospel. And um, as we do, um, what I want us to see is that uh, this ministry that Christ has uh, been doing, uh, the miracles, the, the many great things that he's done, um, we're going to see a huge shift today in the passage, and all of a sudden, he's going to turn and he's look at, and look at the disciples, and he's going to say, I've been telling you to come with me, now it's time for you to go. It's time for you to go. And um, this summer, I, I'm excited to explore that idea because um, what we're going to see today is that humanity by ourselves is very limited. We are very limited in, in ourselves by ourselves. But when Christ empowers us and turns to us as he did to the disciples and says, now go, the opportunities, the things that Christ will do in our life, they're, they're limitless. And it's going to be a fun summer uh, just exploring that uh, with Jesus and his disciples in the Gospel of Mark. So if you found Mark 6, we're going to read the first 13 verses and uh, just ask God to continue to reveal himself to us through his word. It says, he, being Jesus, left there, and he came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished. Where did this man get these things, they said? What is this wisdom that has been given to him, and how are these miracles performed by his hands? Isn't this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? And aren't his sisters here with us? So they were offended by him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown, among his relatives and in his household. He was not able to do a miracle there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and he healed them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. He was going around the villages teaching. He summoned the twelve and he began to send them out in pairs and gave them authority over unclean spirits. He instructed them to take nothing for the road except a staff, no bread, no traveling bag, no money in their belts but to wear sandals and not put on an extra shirt. He said to them, Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that place. If any place does not welcome you or listen to you, when you leave there, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons, anointed many sick people with oil, and healed them. Father, we do just ask this morning, we thank you for your, your written and revealed word to us. And we pray, God, that through your spirit, you would help us to uh, take that in, to, to hear from you, and to apply it to our lives, God. That we would, uh, just as the disciples did in this passage, that we would go out and preach the good name of Jesus, that others might repent. But Father, more than that, we pray that we would just align ourselves with you, and we would hear from you in this place about a man named Jesus, who came, who lived, who died, and rose again, so that we could live with you eternally. We pray all this in his name. Amen. Well, uh, last week, while um, many of you were here uh, loving on Shelbyville in a variety of ways, uh, Caitlin and I had the opportunity uh, with her dentist office to go to a convention in Hawaii. Darn the bad luck. I mean, it was it's a terrible misfortune that we would have to go there for work. Um, but it was a lot of fun, and we really enjoyed it. 
And uh, there were a lot of firsts for me, first time in Hawaii, first time trying to fly with a six-week-old baby. Uh, that was fun. Uh, she really did great. Uh, but a lot of firsts. And one of those firsts was uh, I Ubered for the first time. Anybody Ubered? You got a few Uberers? I don't know if that's even a word, but I'm going to make it one. I Ubered for the first time. And um, it was this really weird thing for me. It was one of those experiences that it held a ton of unknowns. So um, I, I download the app on my phone, and I'm like, I don't even know how this works. How do, I, how do I request a ride? Where will I meet this ride? And then all of a sudden, like, all of these uh, internal fears start to emerge. Like, I'm here with my wife and my six-week-old baby, and I'm going to get in a car with somebody that I have, like, I, I know nothing about them besides the, you know, the reviews on the Uber app. <laughs> All of a sudden, like a ton of trust is just flying out the window. And so here we were, uh, our first uh, Uber experience. We were going from our hotel to Pearl Harbor. It was supposed to be like a 20, 25-minute uh, ride. And I'm like, I'm going to get in a car with a stranger with my six-week-old baby for a 25. Like, what am I doing? And then the, the little thing pops up, and it tells you who your driver is. And like his second language was English. His first language, you know, I was like, oh, my goodness, this is crazy. And um, it, was, it was just this really surreal moment where I realized I am placing a ton of trust in an app on my phone and a person behind that app. And um, it just it was a, a really surreal moment. And, and the good news is, is we made it. We, we made it. We survived. And we even got in another Uber afterwards, and it was... That was even crazier because we were like walking around the block chasing each other, trying to find each other. But it was fun. It actually ended up being a fun experience. And uh, I tell that story because I think uh, it's important that we recognize uh, something that's happening in America and in our world at large. And, and that's this idea of trust eroding. Trust is eroding. Uh, multiple reports, multiple studies are finding that in America and really most of the world, we just are losing trust in one another. There was a, a report recently that said that 66% of people said that in general, they don't trust people. So I might turn that question to you. Like if you were just look up and down the row of people that you're sitting with, do you trust them? Don't answer that out loud, but I mean, <laughs> you know, you just kind of look around and it's like, do I trust these people? And if you have to look past your row, like maybe the row behind you or in front of you, like you're probably going to look and find somebody that you're like, I'm not so sure about that guy. Or maybe girl, I don't know, I'm, I'm, you know, not picky. It's a natural human response, right, that, that there's times where we're just not sure if we trust people. But um, historically, we're at, like, all-time highs in the lack of trust in America. And when a country uh, historically is at this level of distrust, Typically, they begin to, to flounder and to flail economically. Things begin to, to break apart. There's lots of division. And, uh, and some of those things are true. Some of those things may or may not. I'm not here to, to figure all those things out. But some experts are even marveling at America, pointing out that like we're in a nominally right now that we haven't completely crashed economically with the level of trust or the lacking level of trust that we have. We don't trust people. And, and when we don't trust people, uh, that brings a whole slew of problems that we often don't think about. One is isolation, right? We don't trust anyone enough to watch our kids, so we just stay home. We don't trust the people that we are with enough to be transparent with them. We just don't trust them with that level of 
of trust. And so um, we, we get stuck, we get isolated, we, we find ourselves more and more isolated uh, by the things of this world. We just don't trust people. Another thing that happens is we begin to become more and more defensive. It's like we're constantly fighting to prove that we are trustworthy. So it's like we, we want to trust other people, but we struggle to do that. And, and so then at the same time, we're always trying to prove that we're trustworthy. And anytime somebody questions that, we're quick to, to jump in and, and be really defensive. And we'll take down anyone or anything to protect our integrity. When we don't have a high level of trust, there is often a lot of resentment that comes in for for maybe even people that we've known and loved for a long time. We give life to the seeds of doubt in our minds about others. Do you do this? Right? You don't even know the truth, but in the back of your mind, you're thinking, why didn't they talk to me today? I wonder why they didn't stop and do this or do that. I wonder why they didn't take time for me. I'm wondering why they posted that on social media. Was that about me? And these little seeds of doubt begin to creep in because of our lack of a trust. And before we know it, before we've actually even had a conversation with the person, there's this resentment forming. Like, I can't believe they would say those things. I can't believe that they wouldn't want to spend time with me. You know, ultimately, what a lack of trust ends up leading to is our limitations. A lack of trust keeps us from, from moving forward in any relationship. If we don't trust our spouse, our marriage isn't going to get better. If we don't trust our kids, we're never going to be able to, to continue to grow those relationships to be healthy. If we don't trust each other in the church, we're going to stay right where we're at, and we're not going to be able to move forward into what God has for us. We can't move forward if we don't trust one another. And so this lack of trust, it's, it's a real problem. In fact, it can become a nightmare. It's certainly the world we live in, but... But I wonder if it has to be our experience as believers in Jesus. Do we have to deal with the, the same lack of trust as we see in the world when we have Jesus living in us? You know, this problem isn't anything new as we see in our passage because even the people of Jesus' hometown didn't trust him. They didn't trust him. This passage introduces us to a couple of different kinds of skeptics. Maybe you've seen some of these skeptics before. We read in verses 2 and 3 about some of the questions that they begin to, uh, to ask uh, of, the disciple, uh, of Jesus. Then one of the questions they ask is, well, where did this man get this thing, right? Where did this man get these things? And, and you know, this question really, uh, this points out the skeptic who's a fact finder. Fact finders are those people who are offended by the idea that there might be more to the story than what they can understand or grasp. They've got to know it all before they'll take any kind of leap of faith. And, and in fact, if they can't know it, then it can't be a thing. You've got those kinds of skeptics. But then they also go on and, and they've got this question. They say, isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't this the carpenter's son? And, and this is the kind of skeptic who are kind of egomaniacs. And they're the ones who are offended by the idea that Someone beneath them could teach them. And what they're saying when they ask this question is, this is just the carpenter's son, right? That's all he is. I don't care what miracles he did. I don't care how good his teaching was. I can't take him at face value because this is just the carpenter's son. Do you see any of that in you? Are you the skeptic that says, if I can't reach out and grab it, if I can't 
f figure out the facts, then I, I, I just can't trust it. Are you the, the skeptic that says, well, there's just certain people that they don't know what I know. They don't have the experience that I have, and so I can't trust them either. I can only trust those who are ahead of me. Can we just call it like it is, right? Humans are not trustworthy. Humans are not trustworthy. We're sinners. And there is no sphere of our world that is untainted by sin. No one person has a corner of the market share in the area of righteousness. No one is better off than anyone else. We're all broken. We're just broken in different ways. Whether it's your first time here today or whether it's you've been here for a long time, you're broken. We're all broken. In fact, Isaiah 2.22, I love just how blunt this is. It says, put no more trust in a mere human who has only the breath in his nostrils. What is he really worth? Wow. Well, I guess I'm a human. Don't trust me. But when we realize and when we're honest with ourselves about our lack of trustworthiness, it makes what Jesus does in this passage all the more incredible. Imagine being Jesus in this passage for just a minute. You come to your hometown. These are the people that you grew up with, that you shared meals with, that you walked the streets with, that you saw on an everyday basis. Nazareth wasn't a, a metropolis. He probably knew all these guys by name. And he comes back, and he's doing these great things, and they're like, isn't that just the carpenter's son? Where did you learn to do that? Completely skeptical. No belief. But what does Jesus do? What does Jesus do? It says their unbelief amazed him. And, and then we read in verses uh, 6 through 9. 7, we'll start in 7. He turns and he summons the 12 and he begins to send them out in pairs. And he gives them authority over the unclean spirits. Think about this moment, right? Jesus has just been rejected by the people of his hometown. He has every right in, in, in fleshly terms to just be like, forget you guys. This is it. Like, I'm done. I'm, I'm offended that you're offended. But instead he says, hey guys, you just watch this people of my hometown reject me. They didn't trust me at all. So now I'm going to send you out to share the good news about me. You humans that are no different than these people that just rejected me, I'm going to trust you in a way that they would not trust me. You know, the same is true for you. All the things in your life that make you not trustworthy, all the ways that you've messed up, and yet Jesus trusts you with his mission. Let's see how it goes. Trust. Trust is defined as it's putting yourself in a compromising position. It's putting yourself in a position where you're depending on someone else to protect and provide for you. You know, just by being here this morning, you're probably trusting us in some ways that you don't think about. When you drop your kids off in community kids or you drop them off at the student pool party this afternoon, you're trusting, right? You're trusting that we have background checked our volunteers, that we put policies in place to protect your kids. We have, just so you know. 
When you give money to the mission of reaching people through Christ Community Church, you're trusting that we're handling the money with care and not leaving anyone alone with it, and we're stewarding the dollars well. And when you share your story or you have authentic moments up here, uh, you're trusting that the story won't be abused or misused in any way that would hurt you. And, and what's crazy is that we can even begin to sense our brokenness just by realizing that when I talk about those issues, it oftentimes raises doubt in our minds instead of trust. Thinking, oh, I guess that's true. There could be a lot of crazy things that are going on. And yet Jesus asks us to trust him with everything. He tells these disciples, don't take anything with you. Just trust me. I know these people don't trust me, but will you trust me? You say, I just can't. I can't get to that point of, of trusting Jesus. There's too many stories that, that raise doubts in me. There's too many times a friend has become an enemy over something hurtful that was said. There's too many times that leaders have fallen from leadership because of ugly sins. There's too many times, too many stories of people who have rejected us, ignored us, judged us. There's too many times that people have proven themselves to be untrustworthy. You know, it's been said that trust is, is like a sheet of paper. And when you break that trust, it's crumpled up. And whatever you do, you know, you, you may try to smooth things out. You may realize that you were wrong. You may try to go back and seek forgiveness and, and make things right. But as much as you try, you may get the paper back to looking somewhat like it does, but, but the wrinkles will always be there, right? You can never fully gain that back in the flesh. But again, this is what makes what Jesus did all the more incredible. See, Jesus trusted God with his life to save your life. Do you realize that? Jesus trusted God with his life to save your life. Despite the fact that, that even the very people would not trust him, despite the fact that the men and women who watched him grow up would not believe in him, Jesus continued to trust God with his life for the opportunity to save yours. He's not discouraged by the people's lack of trust. He keeps going. I love what we see in, in verse 6. It says, And Jesus was amazed at their unbelief. And then the very next verse just says, He was going around the villages teaching. He didn't stop, right? He didn't stop. Well, even though he was amazed by their unbelief, even though he was shocked that these people he had grown up with would be the very ones who would reject him, he kept going because he knew that when he kept going, he was going to meet his destiny and his purpose in dying on the cross for you. He keeps trusting God all the way through the point of death. He trusts God enough to leave his place in heaven and come to earth in the form of a man. He trusts God enough to, to make himself completely vulnerable, tempted in every way as we humans are. And yet he did not sin. He trusts God as he is despised, rejected, and abandoned by his disciples. The very ones he's getting ready to trust with the mission. He trusts God as his very life hangs in the balance. As he's nailed to the cross. As he bears the weight of my sin and your sin. And he takes the punishment for each of us. And finally, as his human existence is unable to go on with his own power, he trusts his heavenly father with his spirit. Luke, chapter 23, verse 46, tells us Jesus' last words. And it says, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I entrust my spirit. And saying this, he breathed his last. Jesus 
trusted God with his life to save your life. So when he asks us to trust him, he's not asking us to do something that he's never had to do. And what's really amazing is that when humans so often are found untrustworthy, Jesus and God are found trustworthy. Because three days later, Jesus came back from the dead. And in this, we see that when we are in Christ, when we are with him, our limited humanity finds limitless hope. We see that Jesus is yet again trustworthy, and he is not discouraged by the lack of trust that humanity has placed in him. Humanity is limited, but Jesus refuses to be limited by our unbelief. And the good news is is that he's not discouraged by your lack of trust in him either. I don't know what your story is or, or where you are in your journey, but for many of us, we've come to points all the time, again and again and again, where we're just not sure we can trust God more. And yet Jesus is not discouraged by that. He will continue to pursue you, to call you, to love you, as you find your trust in him. Knowing that is what gives you and I the courage to go out and be everyday missionaries just like the disciples Jesus sent out in this passage. You see, only now can we change and have trust, not only in God, but in others. Verses 12 and 13 say, so they went out, right? Jesus tells the disciples, I want you to go, I want you to preach the good news and take absolutely nothing with you. Just trust me. Trust me entirely. I'm not sure my response would have been what the disciples would have been, but they did it. They went out and they preached that people should repent. And they drove out many demons, anointed many sick people with oil, and healed them. Perhaps the most incredible thing is that Jesus trusts you to be his missionaries. Did you know that you're a missionary when you're in Christ? Just as Jesus sent out the 12 to share the good news, he sends each of us to do the same. This journey that the disciples have been on with Jesus, so far it's all been, come with me, come with me, come with me, come learn from me, come see how I live life, come see how I walk in in the day to day. And now, (laughs) when people start doubting him, right, when you think it's not the time to do this, he turns and he says, okay, now go. Our faith, our journey with Christ, it always takes this turn. He always says, come, 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 come. And then in just those moments, he'll turn to us and he'll say, go. The disciples see Jesus rejected. I can't imagine the seeds of doubt that are being raised in their mind. Is there something that we should know about this guy? Maybe this guy isn't who we thought he was, right? Maybe there's something that these people who grew up with him know that we should know before we go put our lives on the line for him. And Jesus still turns and trusts them with the good news of the gospel. He trusts them with the mission of God to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them as we saw Mark do this morning. You know that God is trusting that you will do that. The disciples had to trust in Jesus first, that he would provide for all their physical needs and make a way for them to survive this missionary journey. But then, as they got out on the mission, they had to believe the best about the people that they were encountering, that God would work in their lives the way that he was working in theirs. And that brings up two starting points for this summer as we talk about the limitless possibilities of how God can work in your life. First is, just like the disciples, we have to trust God first 
Trust God first. If you don't trust the God who created everything that you see, you will continue to find it hard to trust anything beyond yourself. And if anyone has a record of being trustworthy, it is him. So put your faith in him. Practically, what does this look like? Pray more and pray first. Instead of trying to fix the problems you face in this world alone, face God in prayer first. Pray about your marriage, asking God to heal the wounds and the battle scars while you also take next step towards counseling and other tools. Pray and ask God to provide for your needs while you also take next steps to learn to be a better steward of your finances. Make time for God in prayer and see if your busy schedule doesn't begin to free itself up for the things that truly matter. You see, we're always praying with action, those things together. It's not meant to be a substitute. We don't just pray and forget about it. We pray and we take action. Prayer focuses you on where you're going so that you don't become overly concerned with what you're going through. Trust God first, but also believe the best about others. We talked earlier about how many times we allow the things that we think to be true about someone to determine what we believe about someone. And then we often find out that what was in our head is the furthest thing from the truth. We fall into the trap of believing that someone doesn't like us and we just write them off. We get sucked into believing that because we had a disagreement with someone that we can never live together or work together or do anything together again. When we are in Christ... We must have the attitude of Christ that sees not the limits of humanity, but instead the limitless opportunities in a person's life when they are transformed by Jesus Christ. We must believe the best about one another, church. We must give each other the benefit of the doubt. We must must see our spouses and our kids and the people sitting in our row as people that Jesus trusts with the mission of God. They are full of limitless potential when and only when they are walking with Christ. One of the the heroes of the faith for me is a guy named George Mueller. George Mueller was a a guy like, like you and I. I call him an everyday missionary. And he understood this idea of of trusting God first and believing the best about others. Trusting God first and believing the best about others. He grew up in a non-believer's home. He didn't know God until later in life. And, uh, and then, after doing that, he, he went and he studied the Bible and, and he became a pastor. But while he became a pastor, his heart was broken for the orphans in England. And in fact, he started an orphanage in England that would eventually serve over 10,000 orphans. Here's what's crazy. In doing that, he never asked for a dime of support. All the meals, all the buildings, all the care for the orphans, schooling. He never asked for money. He simply prayed and took action. Prayed and took action. Prayed and took action. And one of my favorite stories reminds me of this prayerful action that George would take. One morning, the the house mother of, of the orphanage came to Mr. Mueller, and she said, the children are dressed and they're ready for school, but we literally have no food for them to eat. Yesterday, I was at my brother's wedding. This is a little sidebar. I was at my brother's wedding. We finished the wedding. We were sitting outside at the reception, and the food wasn't there yet. Listen, I didn't have the faith of George Mueller. I was like, we ain't going to eat dinner. (laughs) 
So she comes and she tells George, we got 300 kids that are dressed and ready for school and we got no food to feed them. What would you do? George looked back at the, the house mother and he said, take the children, 300 children, into the dining room and have them sit at the tables. And he walked in and he thanked God for the food and he waited. He knew that God was going to provide the food for the children as he always did. I said, within minutes, a baker knocked on the door. Mr. Mueller, he said, last night I could not sleep. Somehow I knew that you were going to need bread this morning. He said, I got up and I baked three batches for you and it's sitting right here outside the door. Awesome. Soon there was another knock at the door. It was the milkman. His cart had broken down in front of the orphanage. The milk would spoil by the time the wheel was fixed, and he asked George if he could use some of the free milk. Mr. Mueller just smiled, and he brought in 10 large cans of milk. It was just enough for the 300 thirsty children. Man, the Lord is trustworthy. And what's crazy about the gospel is that he trusted God just so he could save you. He trusted God to the point of dying and coming back to life. And so when he turns to you and he asks you, will you trust me? Because I trust you to take this message of the gospel into your, to your home and into your neighborhood, to your schools, to the kids that, that aren't in church, right, that Katie talked about. Can we just take some prayerful action and just get out there and join him in it, praying as we go and seeing God begin to work in ways that we never could have imagined. And so today, as we respond to the gospel, the question that you have to answer, that I have to answer is, what prayerful action do I need to take? What prayerful action do you need to take? Maybe today, you're sitting here and, and you're like those people in Jesus' hometown. You're skeptical of who Jesus is. How could you be this kind of guy, Jesus? Aren't you just the carpenter's son? Aren't you just a guy? How could you really be God's son? Maybe today the prayerful action you need to take is to say, I believe that Jesus is the son of God. I can't put my finger on it. I can't grasp it with my mind. But I'm going to take prayerful action and trust that he is the son of God. Maybe today your prayerful action is more about what's happening in your life and in your home. As Melinda talked about, you're facing unimaginable situations. Things that, quite frankly, make you angry that you can't explain. And maybe your prayerful action is just to, to go and to live in that and to stand in that and to be praying that God would help you to understand as you walk through the trials of this life. Maybe like the disciples... God is saying, all right, listen, you've been coming for long enough. You know the gospel. You know that Jesus loves you. So go. Go. Go to Honduras like this team that we're going to send today. But more than that, go to your neighbor across the street. Go to the people in your neighborhood. 
Go to the people at your job and begin to talk about Jesus Christ. Share the good news and trust that I will be with you as you go. You don't know the words to say? He asked them not to even take a cloak or a tunic or any money, right? He'll give you the words. Words are the least of his worry. What is the prayerful action that you need to take today and this week? As the band comes up and leads us in songs, I want you to take time with the Lord to consider that. And if your prayerful action is to believe in the Lord for the first time, that Jesus is the Son of God, we would love to help uh, navigate that part of the journey with you. Myself and others will be back in the back to pray. And if you've already made that decision, then we want to come up and be reminded of the fact that Jesus trusted God all the way to the point of death. And we do that by taking communion. And when we come forward, we take a piece of the bread, we dip it in the juice, and those things represent Christ's body broken for you, Christ's blood shed for you. Jesus literally trusted his very spirit to God in heaven so that he could save your life. It's the good news of the gospel. We celebrate that and we remember that as we take communion, as we respond to it today. What prayerful action do you need to take? Let's pray. Jesus, you make the darkness tremble. You give us hope that we can't understand or grasp. The possibilities of how you can work in our lives are limitless. And so, Father, today I pray that you would help us to see that we are so limited without you. Give us grace to trust you more, Father. Holy Spirit, I pray that as we take this time to respond to the gospel, to reflect on who you are and how you love us, that you would call us and lead us and draw us to the prayerful action that you would have us to take. And that as we begin this journey this summer of, of figuring out what it looks like to, to live a limitless life through Christ, that you would write on our hearts the, the desires that you have for our lives. I pray this in Jesus' name.